persevere throughout the course of the season. I've said it so many times, when you go through adversity and you just keep your head down, you keep working, you come through it, usually you're better for it. This is where Wisconsin gathers to talk sports. Packers, Brewers, Badgers, Bucks. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Now, here's your host, Grant Bills. So I don't watch a lot of ESPN, the four-letter network. Um, I enjoy Stephen A. Smith. He's just on at a time. Like, if I came into work at noon, I'd probably watch a little bit of first take as I'd be getting ready to leave my apartment, you know, if I was doing something around the house. Like, I, I don't have anything against first take, but I don't watch a lot of ESPN. I did see a clip today that was tweeted from the ESPN NBA account or the NBA on ESPN, whatever. And it's this Michael Wilbon rant from the NBA Today, which is their afternoon show. It's what the jump used to be. Um, This quote from Michael Wilbon. If you watch the Suns, you sit there and you just say, when are they going to start playing? That's the quote. And then the video was attached. That's exactly how I feel about the Bucs. And I, look, I am a Bucs fan. Giannis might be my favorite Wisconsin athlete, one of my favorite athletes ever. I love what he's about. He delivered this state, the city, a championship. I love Giannis. I love Chris. Love Drew Holiday. Right? I love I I'll tell my kids one day about Brooke Lopez. I love Brooke Lopez. Love this team. But this season, I get home, I turn on my TV, I start watching the game. I'm like, are you guys Are you gonna do the thing? Like, are you gonna you gonna lock in and actually start playing some serious basketball at some point? It's happened once or twice, maybe so far this year. Opening night against Philly was pretty cool. And it feels like every game since then, I'm like, are you guys going to? And there was a stretch where they blew out the Pistons, blew out the Spurs, blew out the Rockets. I'm like, great. Can we can we use this to build some confidence and then roll this confidence and this aggression into games against better opponents? I haven't seen it. Even in their wins against teams that are decent, it seems like they're doing the absolute bare minimum just to squeak by, right? The C's get degrees type of approach to NBA games. I just haven't seen it yet. So tonight, Bucks play the Celtics. I'm not even going to watch. I'm not going to watch live. I'm going skiing. And that's not like an aggressive, active choice. I just had a couple friends that asked me if I wanted to go Thursday night's cheap night, get a lift ticket for like 18 bucks. All right. I'll catch up on the Bucks game when I get home. And if they apply themselves and they take pride in their performance, and they take pride in what they're doing, on okay, well, great. I'll still feel better about this team. But until that happens, I, they're in timeout. I have the Bucks in timeout right now, which is why we're not going to have an NBA lounge tonight. They need to earn the NBA lounge. I said the same thing last week. Talk about Badgers basketball. I'd way rather talk about the Packers. Talk about other things. This is the Wisco Sports Show. My name is Grant Bills. I hope you're having an outstanding Thursday. Your week is coming along. It was beautiful outside this morning. Like there was fresh snow everywhere and it was kind of like still maybe not perfectly shoveled and perfectly plowed, but the sun was out and walking around. I went out to, this is how I know it was nice outside is I had to scrape my car off before coming to work, and I did not feel the need to put gloves on. I didn't even put my coat on. It was a pretty nice day today, and now I see it's gotten cloudy, and we're going to get more snow tonight and into tomorrow. But I hope you've had a great day as we get a break in between winter storms. Two guests tonight, two outstanding expert guests that will bring analysis and inside information and unique perspective to the show. Nick Osen is going to join us at 4.30 in about a half hour from now. He was in Columbus last night for the Badger game. Excited to get his uh, first-hand account, his perspective. A serious, if we're being honest, a serious actual reporter that covers the team. 
that can give us some perspective that probably I cannot. He's at 24-7 Sports. He's on Twitter at the real Nick Oson. Mike Clemens to join us at 5.30 with the latest. I guess Jair got hurt just randomly turning his ankle in practice. It's the sound of me hitting my forehead on the microphone. So Mike will bring us the latest. A lot of positives with the Packers. I don't mean to dwell on the negative. Sometimes you get banged up in practice. It happens. So I'm not holding against Jair too much. It's just been a season of one thing after another. But Mike Clemens, the latest at 5.30. No calls because it's Thursday. It's been a pretty good system, right, where we have some maybe some longer, more drawn-out rants from me. We get a little bit more into detail about this and that. And I appreciate your phone calls. I really do. It's just, you know, maybe some people, they want to hear more from the guests. They want to hear more from me. They want a little bit of a different show. I think Thursday gives us that flavor. And then we'll finish strong tomorrow. I talked to Denny and Holman, for example, during Bill's show earlier today. Denny had a nice call previewing Packers Cowboys a little bit. And he asked me off the airs, are you taking calls? And I said, nope, but we'll uh, we'll reconvene on Friday, Denny. How does that sound? And Denny goes, oh, oh, yeah. So uh, you guys always bring it on Friday. Never miss a Friday show. I appreciate you guys for that. You can tweet at me. We're not completely blacked out, disconnected from each other. You can tweet me at Wisco Grant. You can send me a DM, too, if you don't want to put your opinion out for everyone to see. I get it. I, I get it. I hide behind a microphone. If you want to hide behind a DM, you you absolutely can. I'm on Twitter, at Wisco Grant. I didn't write anything down for tonight's show. I know the big topics and the things I want to talk about, but I didn't write down anything specifically. So a lot of vibes, uh, kind of a go with the flow show tonight. I want to start with the Badgers. They played last night and we'll circle back, talk more about the Badgers at 430. But really briefly, I really like watching this team this year. They're deeper, you know, on on any given night. Let's say AJ store doesn't have it or Steven Crowell's a little banged up. Maybe Tyler wall doesn't have it. Well, all of a sudden Max Klesman gets hot last night. I was really enjoying watching Nolan winter. Uh, I always like watching Chucky Hepburn. One of my favorite things about this year's team, they're deeper with the addition of AJ store uh, and John Blackwell and their bench is just risen. It's funny. You bring in more good players. The competition for minutes gets a little stiffer, brings out the best in everyone. Wow. What a novel idea. We're starting to lose that idea just a little bit in college sports, because if you don't completely 100% love your situation, you can transfer. I still, I'm a little old school. 2024, I've been kind of an old man so far, a lot of old school takes. I still think that players should have to earn playing time, work for it, fight for it. Just because you got a lot of minutes one season doesn't mean you're guaranteed those minutes next season if you don't continue to raise your game and work on your game. And I think Greg Gard has built on last year's roster, which was fine. But, you know, I remember our discussions when the season started and we talked with Zach Heilprin and we talked with others. It's like, well, last year's team wasn't good enough. And you brought back like almost 95% of the scoring or 95% of the minutes. They weren't good enough last year. Why am I supposed to get excited for this year? Well, it turns out if you just add in AJ store, you just add in John Blackwell, everyone else raises their game just a little bit. The team looks really, really different. They have an edge uh, and they're, they're just better plain and simple than they were last year. They didn't look amazing. The defense was not tough to begin the game against Ohio state last night. Little lax, maybe didn't set the tone early, but this team scores much easier this year than they did last year. They are a, a, a more gifted offensive team with AJ Store, obviously. Uh, and again, some of these other players have raised their game. They all have to do a little bit less. So Tyler Wall doesn't have to score 15, but if he chimes in 10 or 12 points, That's huge. Chucky Hepburn doesn't have to score to be really effective. He can have a six-point night, and I'm like, wow, Chucky was great. He did a lot of winning things. 
Um, they did not start off sharp last night, but because their offense is good, they can get away with it a little bit. What I really like about this, I just listing things that I love about this year's team. Something that um, I, I really started to notice last night, and I wrote it down, and I'm going to ask Nick about this at 4.30. Something I like about this year's team, long list of things, but something that I, I really started to think about last night is we're starting to get this formula where the Badgers start a game, the first half is very competitive, maybe the Badgers go on a run, the other team goes on a run, and we get to halftime, and the mission for the second half becomes very clear, right? Against, um, who was the Big Ten opponent? Was it Iowa? It was Iowa, yeah, yeah, yeah. So not last night, but their previous Iowa, the last game we really talked about, got in the weeds about. At halftime, it was very clear. We'll just get the ball to Stephen Crowell more. Focus in. On the offense, let's really be intentional about funneling the ball through Stephen Crowell. Iowa can't do anything with him. The cuts off the ball when Stephen Crowell was getting double teamed were tremendous. So you go into halftime of that Iowa game, it's like, all right, now we 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 hone in our focus a little bit at halftime, and we realize, yep, Stephen Crowell is going to be the answer. Let's lean more into that in the second half, and let's ride that to victory. Let's ride that to the finish line. Right. Last night against Ohio State, Stephen Crowell was banged up a little bit. You know, the Badgers had kind of a, a rough start to the game. It was very close. At ha- I can't remember what the halftime score was. But at halftime, and early on in the second half, it became very clear. Tyler Wall is the guy tonight. They can't do anything with Tyler Wall. Ohio State could do nothing with him last night. Plus, he's making his free throws. I don't know if that's because he added more arc to his shot. I don't know what Tyler Wall's been doing in practice with his free throws, but he's been better. So again, Badgers get to halftime. And it's very clear to everyone watching, and I think it's clear to Greg Gard, too. He's got a really good feel for this team. Okay, in the second half, we, we want to condense our playbook on offense a little bit. We want to focus more on what we know will work, right? Or, or look at it this way. Instead of thinking about a playbook, think of, think of a toolbox, right? Badgers basketball team is a toolbox. We got a wrench, we got a screwdriver, and we got a drill, and everyone does something a little bit different. And depending on the job, whether that job be Iowa or Ohio State, there might be a a tool that works better than the rest. So you can spend the first half kind of, let's try the screwdriver. Okay, yeah, that's nice. The drill, ooh, hammer. Let's give that a spin. You get to halftime, it's like, okay, on this given night, when we're working on this given project, we really want to, this tool is the most effective. So in the second half, we don't use the drill. We don't use the hammer. We're all in on the screwdriver, baby, Stephen Crowell. He's the answer against Iowa. So in the second half, we really, really streamline a lot more the screwdriver, a lot more Stephen Crowell. And last night, Ohio State's a different project, different details, different, like if I'm thinking about if you're uh, building a birdhouse versus paving a driveway, you can use very different tools. Iowa, Ohio State, different opponents, different games. We get to the second half last night. It's like, well, I know we used the screwdriver a lot on the last job, but I think tonight the belt sander. Let's use the belt sander. That's Tyler wall. Right. And I like that this Badgers team, unlike last year actually has a toolbox. That's it's very divert. A lot of options. There's options for basically every different type of project and every different type of game. And I think Greg guard and, and his staff and his team has done a really good job at halftime, recognizing what's working, cutting out, getting rid of what's not working and riding what's working to the finish. They did that again last night. And of course a flurry for Max Klesman doesn't hurt. And Max Klesman, as he's making shots, I don't know if you noticed, ratcheted up his defense on the other end. Like with every shot that Max Klesman made late, he turned around and rose his energy. His defense was feeding off of his offense. A lot of players, it's the opposite. They'll really get locked in on defense if their offense is flowing, right? Or they, you know what I mean? You know what I mean? A lot of teams, they need to make 
points. They need to score to ratchet up their defense. And I would like to see Wisconsin, you know, this team's a little bit more modern. They foul a little bit more than we were used to in the Bo Ryan days. Um, Maybe they turn the ball over a little bit more. I don't think we're ever going to get back to Bo Ryan. Um, But the Badgers, unlike old Bo Ryan teams or maybe Badgers teams of the past that we were used to, their defense late was feeding off of their offense a little bit. Max Klesman started to put the ball in the hoop, and that supercharges defense on the other end, which I absolutely love. I want to talk about some of uh, these coaching resignations or parting of ways or firing. I want to talk about Saban and Belichick. Let's do Belichick first. Bill Belichick, today it was announced by the Patriots. They held a a joint statement this morning where Belichick and Kraft both took the podium. It was only about 10 minutes. They explained what the plan was. We're parting ways. Bill Belichick's been moving on. You know, Belichick made a really nice statement about his time as a a Patriots coach. He'll always be a Patriot, appreciative of the fans, all the success that they had. Right, And then Robert Kraft did a press conference, took actual questions from reporters later this afternoon. We're so bad... As sports fans and as sports talkers, we're so bad at evaluating coaches and players. We're so bad at evaluating individual cogs in a bigger machine, right? So the Patriots, for 20 years, they dominated, and they won playoff games, and they made Super Bowls and won Super Bowls at a level that I doubt we'll ever see again, and really at a level we haven't seen in a long time. I guess you could talk about the Cowboys in the 90s, Packers in the 60s, but but those runs weren't nearly as long is what the Patriots and, and Brady and Belichick did. And, it, and it's a bummer for me as someone who's historically probably been a, not skeptical of Tom Brady, but I think I spent a lot of Tom Brady's career going like, hey, guys, he's not doing anything unbelievable out there. He's making his reads, hitting his checks, getting the ball out, not making mistakes, not trying to do too much. And the defense is unbelievable. And the coaching is unbelievable. And the special teams, unbelievable. And the situational processing and decision-making from Belichick. And it's unbelievable. Brady's just a cog. Now, I, I think as I get older and I, and I watch more and I watch other quarterbacks and I watch other teams in the playoffs, the brilliance of Brady was that he sometimes played a simple game. Sometimes he realized that his job as quarterback is to just throw screens, throw checkdowns. Let, let the defense, you know, make plays. Let his wide receivers go get yards after the catch. And I realize, oh, my God, that is the brilliance of Brady. The brilliance of Brady is not that he has a Marino-like arm or Aaron Rodgers' mobility and ability to throw on the run. The brilliance of Brady was that he understood the assignment always, and he always executed it to perfection. He never made football harder than it needed to be. And that's my criticism of Rodgers. Not off the, I, at this point, he's not even a Packer. We don't need to talk about you know, feuding with Jimmy Kimmel and, and what that means for his, his team and their ability to win. That doesn't matter to us anymore. Talking about Rodgers on the field, my criticism of him was he makes football harder than it needs to be. If Rodgers simply ran an offense, let his wide receivers make plays for him, let his running game make plays for him, and sometimes do less, the results would be more. Brady figured that out. And and Brady slung it on a couple playoff runs, too, when his defense wasn't up to snuff or when Brady really had to do more. When the assignment was to do more, he did more. He always understood the assignment. But as we've gotten farther away from Belichick and Brady being on the same team and, and winning together... You know, Brady went on to Tampa, won a championship there, and Belichick never really got off the ground. They made the playoffs with Mac Jones two years ago. They got rocked by the Bills, and, you know, we kind of forget that (laughs) Bill Belichick ever made it back to the playoffs. It was so bad, right? The last couple years post-Brady looked really bad for Belichick, and every year, further and further removed we got, people would say, well, it was way more Brady than it was Belichick. 
You know, knowing what we know now, it, w- it was 80, 90% Brady. Belichick was just, Belichick's never won without Brady. Yeah. No good coach, no great coach has ever won at a high level without a great quarterback in the NFL. It's just not how it works. It's not how you could bring back, you could exhume and resurrect Vince Lombardi. And Vince Lombardi would not be able to win in today's NFL without a quarterback. Like sometimes, well, Belichick never won without Brady. Well, yeah, his other quarterbacks were old, busted up, and washed out Cam Newton, and then Mac Jones, who couldn't fend off Bailey Zappi to keep his job. Now, Bill Belichick drafted Mac Jones. He's the GM that let the roster kind of decay. But so many people thought less of Bill Belichick's coaching chops farther we we got removed from him and Brady playing together. And I think that's ridiculous, right? We can look at Brady and say, wow, he was the greatest, is the greatest. We should be able to look at Belichick and realize, well, he didn't have a quarterback the last couple of years. His roster wasn't exactly talented. He didn't win much post-Brady, but that doesn't detract. Like, we're detracting now. We're going back and we're revising history for Belichick's run in New England. And I think that's so dumb. We're smarter than that. We're better than that as sports fans, aren't we? I want to talk about Saban after this break. Um, I am not the world's biggest college football nerd. I'm not the world's biggest historian of college football. But I went down a long rabbit hole on Twitter and, and reading a lot about Nick Saban last night. I'm like, man, he, he's been a fixture in my life. He's, and we talked to Mike Renner about this last night. I just figured as long as I'd be alive and Alabama's playing football, Nick Saban would be coaching. I was reading a lot of stats and, and watching some old speeches. And I have some things that I want to say about the career of Nick Saban and, and, and I don't know, his impact on college football. So we'll do that next. Nick Oson, 24-7 Sports, covers Badgers basketball. He's going to be here at 4.30. Mike Clemens at 5.30. Loaded show. God, I'm excited for tonight's show. We're just getting started. Back in three minutes. Wisco Sports Show. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Wisco Sports Show. Appreciate you listening. Hanging out. Nick Osing going to be here. Talk Badgers basketball in about 10 minutes. Started the show by talking about the Badger game last night. Uh, Matt and Cross Plains. Thank you, Matt. I could have just simply had the box score open in front of me. I didn't pull it up. Uh, he tweeted 35-33 at the half. Yes. And they also had a stretch. What was it? Like six minutes and change, seven minutes and change in the second half where they didn't score. It was very reminiscent of last year's team. It's like you know, every other game, almost every game it felt like last year, they would have some six or seven minute stretch in the second half where the offense would just shut off. This team is, has more, there's more insurance policies on this team. If the offense gets stuck and the shots aren't going through the hoop, there's just a couple of extra guys on this team that can get them out of that slump. Last night it was Max Klesman. Right? But on another given night, it could be AJ Storr, who wasn't here last year be John Blackwell at any given point guy who wasn't here last year I think Greg Gard is right now just taking a little bit of a hot hand approach with Connor Asijan and last night I thought he recognized in the second half Connor doesn't have it tonight shot isn't falling doesn't look good there's no point in chasing good money after bad let's just get Connor off the floor get someone else in there because this year there are more options we'll talk about all that with Nick Osen coming up in about 10 minutes I want to talk about Saban That was the big news that broke last night, and I don't know exactly what time that news broke, 
because I was in here doing the Bill Michaels huddle. And then right when the huddle was done, I left, jumped in my car, turned on the Badger game with LaPay and Brian Butch. Brian Butch, one of the hardest working guys in radio in the state, not as hardworking as our guy Bill Michaels, who drove to and from lacrosse snowstorm both ways. He's probably harder. He, he might work harder than me. Not by a lot. I, I work pretty hard, but I didn't travel to Columbus for the, for the Badger game. So maybe Brian Butch. I was listening to LePay and Butch, and then I got home, and I watched the end, and then we did a Twitter space, and at some point during the evening last night, the Nick Saban news broke. And I was watching all the clips on Twitter of all of his, his pregame speeches and some really interesting clips going around of him, you know, breaking down coverage and talking about this and that. It, it's really fun. It doesn't matter if it's sports or music or economics or finance. It's just really interesting. It's really satisfying to listen to someone talk about something that they really, really know well, that they're really passionate about, that they're really excited about. Like listening to a really good musician talk about music listening to a really really good football coach Nick Saban talk about football and talk about coverages and positioning like it's just it's very interesting even though I am not a a film junkie uh, and I've never played I've never played a snap of of competitive football I never played flag football in middle school I never played tackle football in high school I guess I played intramural football seven on seven in college but that doesn't really count um I think we tried to drop a play on a whiteboard one time and someone fell over in the play it didn't work, so that doesn't that doesn't count. I've never played football at any level. I am not a film junkie or, or a, a, even a Madden player, but even I can appreciate and enjoy Nick Saban talking about something he's obviously very passionate about, obviously very good at. He won a ton of national titles at Alabama and probably never going to see a program have any success, at least at that level, ever again, which is the same, I think, with Belichick and Brady. Interestingly enough, Belichick stepping away or moving on from the Patriots earlier today. You know, I I think Nick Saban could keep coaching. And I think Jim Harbaugh could keep coaching in college for a while. I think some of these, especially older coaches, I don't want to deal with it. I don't have to recruit my own players every year. And I don't want to have to talk to boosters about how much we got to pay this guy or that guy to come here or to stay here. Right? And Nick Saban had it easier than most because Nick Saban's recruiting pitch was, you come here, you win a national title. If you stay here a couple of years, I'm going to turn you into the best version of yourself. Probably going to have a good chance to go to the NFL if you're worth your salt as a player. You're going to succeed at a high level playing big bowl games, playing college football playoff games, and you get to come to Alabama. Like Alabama did not have to work. Nick Saban did not have to work as hard as other coaches around the country or for the last couple of years, even with the addition of, of NIL and you know the transfer portal, which is just this nonstop menace now the coaches have to deal with. They're never done. The job's never over. Even when you land the recruit, even when you just finish your season, even before you finish your season, players are hitting the portal even before bowl games in between Thanksgiving and and Christmas, Thanksgiving and New Year's. You know, Nick Saban bitched and whined about NIL a couple years ago, the idea that these players are going to now get paid and they can uh, work with schools and local businesses and boosters to get what's owed to them because the NCAA and the college football playoff are raking in money hand over fist from these TV networks to carry these games. And the end of the deal, the players are the labor. The players are the reason why we're all watching, right? And Nick Saban, this was a couple of years ago, I remember talking about like, this is this is going to be bad for college football. Right? And everyone said, oh, Saban, Saban's just complaining because now other schools are, 
are going to be able to actually get players. And it's not just Alabama having a monopoly on everything. And, and part of that's probably true, right? Saban, before money got involved, had the best pitch. Come here, win a national title, go to the NFL. What else do you want? And sure, Texas A&M could throw a ton of money at players now. And Florida State could throw. Oregon's got a massive collective, which is why Dan Lanning's going to stay there. He has everything he needs in Eugene. So part of it was probably selfish, the way that Saban resisted NIL and kind of spoke out about it. But also, I think Saban is the one coach in college football that can, honest to goodness, with good conscience, make the case that his players at Alabama did not need to get paid. If there was one coach in the country at any of these programs over the last 20 years that could honestly sit down and look me in the eye and say, Grant, I I honestly don't like... I think these players are are getting what's owed to them. I think this is a fair situation. I think this is a fair setup without money for name, image, and likeness, and without pay-to-play, without recruiting money getting involved to come here and play to Alabama. And I think Saban could say that and be mostly right, unlike any other coach that's worked in college football really in my lifetime, the last two or three decades. Because Nick Saban could sit down with a kid and say, you come to Alabama, if you're a four or five star recruit with NFL prospects, you come to Alabama, I'm going to make you the best version of yourself. You're going to be part of a, a family, part of a program with structure and organization, a program that's not ridden with scandals all the time, not ridden with cheating all the time. You're going to come to Alabama. You're going to become the best version of yourself. You're going to be able to go into the NFL and have opportunities to make millions and millions and millions of dollars, generational wealth. And if you come and commit to me at Bama and play at least four years, you're winning a national title. Every player that played under Nick Saban at Alabama for at least four years won a national title at some point in their career at Bama. That's insane. So I think Nick Saban, with good conscience, could 100% say, no, I like I think it worked. Okay, I think the players had a pretty good deal before the end. I think they were doing okay. And I, I don't know that that's true at other programs. Just because at other programs, it's not like it was a straight pipeline to the NFL. And it's not like it was a straight pipeline to the national championship or the eventual college football playoff. And that's pretty cool to me that Nick Saban could straight up look a kid in the eye and say, you want to go to the NFL? You want to win a national title? Come play for me. I can deliver you both. And I, I know we think these players should be able to make money off their name, image, and likeness. And that's probably true. But I think Nick Saban is the one coach over the last 20 years who could say, no, 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 my, my players are fine. My players are getting more than enough. And I think he would mostly be correct if he said that. Doesn't mean his players also can't be in a commercial and make a little money. But Nick Saban delivered to his players and served his players and gave his players what he promised them in, in a way that basically no other coach has done especially for that long of a time period. And that's, that's pretty unbelievable. So I was thinking a lot about that last night and today. Nick Saban, probably going to go work on TV, make a pile of money, and shout out to Nick Saban for not doing the Krzyzewski and taking a six- or seven-month retirement tour and making it about him because it's about the kids. It's about the student-athletes at the end of the day. Speaking of student-athletes, Badgers got a lot of good ones. This Badger team, they're rolling. They look really, really good. Best Badgers team in a while. We'll talk to Nick Oson, 24-7 Sports, who was at the game at Ohio State last night, now back in the good land, back in Madison. He joins us next on the Wisco Sports Show. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Wisco Sports Show. Mike Clemens will bring us the latest from Green Bay. About an hour. He'll join us at 530. Right now, bringing us the latest from 
well, I guess Columbus, but specifically Madison, this Badgers basketball team now won five in a row following that ugly loss to Arizona. But what did they want, like six or seven in a row going into Arizona? This team's really good. And it felt like last night, maybe they were due for a loss. I'll bring in Nick Osen, 24-7 Sports. Nick, there was a moment in that second half last night where I'm like, ah, this might be the night where they just don't have enough. And then Max Klesmick gets going and this team, this team just keeps on winning. Did you feel like maybe in the second half it wasn't going to happen last night? Grant, great to be back with you, man. You know, I, I actually was just thinking about that as I was kind of getting ready for this show. I think there was a time it was around like that nine, ten minute mark. I thought, you know what, maybe this is the time, you know, a little fatigue catches up or the other team is just hot and the Badgers fall. But as you touched on a little bit, Klesman got hot and I think it just shows really the experience, the togetherness, and like you said in the lead-in, just how good this team, I don't really think there's any questions about how good they are now. I think this is a legitimate top 12 to 15 team in the country, Grant. So they went, what, about seven minutes, six, seven minutes without making a field goal in the second half last night. And that's something they did a bunch last year, but that was always the reason they lost last year. Last night they were able to overcome it. So what's different about this year's team, or at least what was different last night, where they kind of made a lot of the same mistakes we saw a flawed team make last year, but they were able to win in a Big Ten environment on the road anyways. Yeah, definitely. And Coach Guard was asked about this a little bit post-game. I think I'm going to go two ways with this. I think the coaching staff gets, you know, a lot of credit for kind of keeping the guys locked in, focused, you know, mentally ready for the players. And what I think is different with this year's team, in addition to just having another year of experience, there are almost too many guys to stop if you're the opposing defense. So even though A.J. Storr got the team rolling and Stephen Crowell played tough, even coming off a little injury, and Tyler Wall had a good start, it was just another fourth or fifth guy, and this time it was Klesmet that just kind of led his defense into his offense. Obviously, he made things tougher for battle in kind of that stretch, certainly in the second half. And then there were some really nice looks for him as well. So to me, I think experience and just so many mouths to feed in a good way that it's really hard to stop these guys when they're clicking. You know what I love about this team most of all? And I and I hate that previous teams made me do this, but I would get frustrated the last two years. I'm like, yeah, Chucky's great, but he doesn't score. And this team needs offense, right? They're, they struggle so much, especially late in games when the offense would shut off. This team, why I love this team is... I can sit back and watch Chucky Hepburn score seven points and think he had a great game. He contributed to winning. He did so many great things. I love that they have a system now that's better around Chucky. So Chucky doesn't have to jack up a bunch of bad shots to really help this team win. I love that about this year's squad. I really couldn't agree more, Grant. Like, we know Chucky. He is a player that can get you 15, 18, 23 if he really has to. Mm -hmm. But to be able to be like that third or fourth scoring option and lead with his facilitation – that was something I noted in some of the early practices, actually, uh, when we got to see them as media. It just felt like he was in kind of a, a different mindset. You know, he was very vocal about getting into a little bit of better shape, a little faster this season, playing as a facilitator. And then when those shots do, you know, come naturally or maybe it's late in the shot clock, of course the Badgers can lean on him. He provided a couple of those last night. But, again, just another night, you know, four assists, just one turnover, that ratio continues to be impressive. And I think the trust that is there between Chucky, Coach Guard, and the rest of this team is very evident right now. So what's Guard doing with a Asijin? I know a lot of Badgers fans are frustrated. They're like, he's, he's being wasted or he's being yanked around. I, 
So he was injured, right? And he's been working his way back from that. The team is deeper around him. So minutes are a lot tougher to come by this year. But have we reached a point with Connor Asijan now where he's a little bit of a hot hand guy, at least at this point in early January, where if the shots are going down, guard might give him a little more run. But last night I saw him shoot a couple of times. He didn't have it and guard hooked him pretty quickly. Yeah, Grant, I remember the last time we chatted, he was just coming off that injury. So I think a lot of people were kind of trying to figuring out, trying to figure out what was going on. And I think it's very fair to say what, what you kind of said. I, I don't think that there's anything deeper than, you know, maybe there are just enough guys where if he's not shooting well, obviously defense maybe isn't his best attribute, of course, considered kind of what the rest of the guys around him do. You know, he can be kind of that extra piece that, eighth, ninth, sometimes even tenth guy. And and I don't think that's a bad thing. And I want to give Connor credit because obviously what we saw last season, he's a guy that really could be a top four or five player on a lot of teams in the conference, but he hasn't really let that get him down. You know, he's still very vocal, supportive. He was getting really into it on the bench. Obviously there was a post-game video. And I think that kind of, you know, not validates what Guard is doing, but really kind of helps represent what this team is about and the fact that even though, He's not scoring or even playing as much. There are still ways that he can help this team. We're talking with uh, Nick Oson, 24-7 Sports. I-, I remember being at the Coles Center for the WIAC scrimmage against Stevens Point and against Kent Dernbach's team, who used to be at UWL. And I like I love Wisconsin whenever they play against Lacrosse or Eau Claire. Like, I always try to get to that game. And I remember talking to you about Nolan Winter because it's not a guy that I knew a ton about. Skinny. Probably has some some room to grow defensively and with his inside game, but can shoot really offensively, just naturally skilled and, and gifted. I can't say that I expected him to be playing as much as he's been playing, at least early on in Big Ten play. Has he and his role on this team, has that surprised you? What do you make of Nolan Winter here, at least on January 11th? I know a lot can change as the season goes along. Definitely, yeah. I remember catching up a little bit about Nolan. Honestly, it hasn't really surprised me because I remember seeing him in practice and actually telling some of our readers, I think that this guy is a future NBA player. I still think that, you know, he might need three, potentially those four seasons, obviously to continue to get stronger and get more developed. But in terms of this year's team, I think he provides, while of course he's the backup to, to crawl, I think he's a good at rim protection. He kind of made some things a little tougher last night, even though he the bulk up, I think he can step out and hit. And he just really helps space the floor, too, which, again, we've talked about last year's team. It just didn't have quite as much of that. So I think when you're able to have a guy like Winter as your seventh or eighth man, that just makes this team even harder to guard. And I think that depth is going to be really important, especially in just that random Tuesday or Wednesday night game when, yeah. you know, maybe Wall or Crowell are in some foul trouble. Yeah, and I, like... I, like historically the last four or five years, like I think I've been a lot more of an NBA guy this year, the NBA, I don't, I don't know what it is. Certain seasons, certain teams. It's, and it's not even that the bucks, the bucks haven't been as good. The bucks are still very good. Um, but this year I, I've gravitated a lot more towards college basketball. I need to remind myself like the difference between five and six fouls is massive and a, a, a stray whistle or a 50, 50 call, you know, with six minutes left in the first half can really change the way that a game moves and the direction of a game and having a, a seven or eight or nine man. I mean, these, this teams, they play 10 or 11 guys having that many bodies that you can go to and rotate is, is a massive thing. Where do you think Steven Crowell falls? If we were ranking players in the big 10, 
you know, and and not necessarily, you know, their future and whether or not they can be NBA players. But Stephen Crowell, we've kind of gotten used to him, and I think we take him for granted a little bit. The season that he's putting together so far and, and the season that this team is having, Stephen Crowell is going to be thought of as one of the better players in the Big Ten, and it, it kind of snuck up on me a little bit, Nick. Yeah, Grant, I really couldn't agree more. I actually remember kind of uh, putting out and thinking that he might be a top, you know, one or two center in this league, and just the more I've watched him and kind of his impact really on both ends, I'll add kind of some of his facilitation skills as a post player. I'm going to stick with that. I think he's probably a top seven to nine, uh, eight to 10 player in the conference and one of the top one or two players at his position. I think he's the most important player to this Wisconsin team, as many really standouts as there are. And I think it's a really good thing. Obviously, I was at the game last night and, you know, I got a little nervous for the Badgers just seeing he had kind of a little bit of a wrap on his knee and was just curious, obviously, what that injury was. But just luckily, it was just some banged knees, just a little bruising and nothing long term because obviously, that would be unfortunate, not only for him, but the potential of this team as he is so important, like you alluded to. He's really good at passing out of the post when those double teams come. And I, I don't know that he was bad at that last year or the year before. It's just something that I've noticed a lot more. And, and that's, you know, it's not just Stephen Crowell. It's these other players realizing and, and knowing when to cut and how to make themselves available for a pass. Uh, th- that's a team thing and credit to Greg Garden, his assistance as well. Let's look at the Big Ten really quickly, Nick, before I let you go. Wisconsin stands alone. 4-0 in the Big Ten. They're the only Big Ten team yet without a loss in conference play. Minnesota Northwestern right behind them. Purdue's now fallen twice. Michigan way down at the bottom. You know, tell me your thoughts and what you see around the rest of the conference and maybe what we have in store with our Badgers over the next week or so as they can continue Big Ten play. Definitely. So as I was kind of looking through their schedule and doing some projections, I thought there was a decent shot that last night would potentially be a loss. Obviously, yes, uh, they were able to get through that. We've seen some unexpected losses for some of those other teams. So I'll go ahead and say this, Grant, and I don't think this is really a hot take at all as they are 4-0. I think if this togetherness and the way this team is playing with the chemistry and pretty good health overall continues, not only do I think that they can win this conference, but I actually think they will because I think that they will beat Purdue at least once. They already have that two-game cushion over a lot of these contenders. And if you look at the rest of January, early February, you've got five or six very winnable games. Now, it's college basketball. Teams will drop one that they shouldn't. But overall, I think anything less than a top maybe two finish in this conference after this start would even be a little bit surprising at this point. I think you're looking at a legitimate, like I said, two or three seed uh, in the NCAA tournament and a potential conference winner in these badges. Hell yeah. This rules, Nick. This is great. I did not expect this when the season started. They brought back a team that wasn't that good last year. Now, of course, they added store and, and a couple other players, but those players have added a lot more and made the team a lot better as a whole than I thought they would. So this has been a lot of fun. We'll have to have you back in a couple of weeks. We can catch up, and, and hopefully we're still talking about this team next time when they're in first place in the Big Ten. Thank you so much, Nick. Absolutely, Grant. I look forward to it. Thanks, my man. Yeah, have a good night. That's Nick Oson, 24-7 Sports. Read his stuff. He's on Twitter, at the real Nick Oson. Yeah, I... How is Nolan Winter playing so much? I don't, I don't get it. A couple months ago, we talked about Gus Bus, you know, and it's been the Nolan Winter show, at least off the bench. Um, it's, it's weird that the Badgers have brought in a big that's skilled from the jump 
and is working on actual post work. I mean, that speaks to the state of basketball in 2024. Like Nolan Winter can bang threes and he's really touchy and gifted and skilled with the ball. He's got to work on everything else. Normally the Badgers develop big men the other way around. Steven Crowell, don't look now, is actually like a really good three-point shooter. Low volume. Sure, but I like I don't want my center jacking up that many threes anyways. I want him to be effective at low volume. Uh, and with a, a high degree of efficiency. So this team's been really fun to watch. We can talk Packers. They do have a, they have a playoff game coming up against the Cowboys. So we should probably talk about that. We should definitely talk about that. I want to talk about some of the matchups that Bill and I discussed earlier that we think are, are specifically going to dictate and decide this game. So we'll do that. Three minutes and we're back on the Wisco Sports Show. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Sports Show. Hope you're having an awesome night. Thanks for listening. My name is Grant Bills on Twitter at Wisco Grant. Talk a little bit about the Belichick news, the Nick Saban news, the Badgers win last night in Columbus against Ohio State. We just talked with Nick Osen for a little bit. He's on Twitter at the real Nick Osen. Go follow him. Let's give him the Bills bump. If you're on Twitter, go support our guests. Please follow them and support their work. Always, we'll have to catch up with them in a couple of weeks or whenever the Badgers, you know, go on the the road and get another huge conference win. They stand alone, top of the Big Ten, undefeated so far in conference play. And I love Badgers basketball, but it's Thursday, and the Packers have a playoff game on Sunday against the Cowboys, no less. Their first playoff game, hopefully the first playoff run of many between Matt LaFleur and Jordan Love. And earlier today on the Bill Michaels show, Bill started throwing out different matchups. Like, what matchups are going to dictate this game? And a lot of people mentioned Jair versus CeeDee Lamb. Well, Jair got banged up in practice today. And I also don't know that Jair versus CeeDee Lamb one-on-one in man coverage is really the best way to go about covering CeeDee Lamb. And I don't think it's the way that Joe Barry will cover CeeDee Lamb. Like, I think the Joe Barry defense actually, and Mike Renner told us this yesterday, the Joe Barry defense of playing a little softer, protecting the secondary, keeping everything in front of you, no doubles defense, probably actually the way to go against Dak Prescott and against CeeDee Lamb. So I don't think Jair assuming he's healthy enough to play. I don't think Jair C.D. Lamb is the matchup or one of the most important matchups. Bill earlier today mentioned Rasheed Walker and Zach Tom versus Micah Parsons. I think that's an important dynamic. I don't want to talk about Rasheed Walker v. Micah Parsons as a matchup or Zach Tom versus Micah Parsons as a matchup because I don't think it will be that simple. I don't think Matt LaFleur is going to hang either tackle out to dry against maybe the best pass rusher or certainly one of the best pass rushers in football. You go back and you watch clips, watch highlights, or if you grind the all 22, go back and look at Packers Cowboys on Thanksgiving and watch how Matt LaFleur and Adam Stenovich schemed Aiden Hutchinson. It was a lot of Ben Sims and a lot of Tucker Craft. Just double team them, beat them up, knock them around, take them out of the play. And and then all of a sudden, you're running a, a two tight end set, so you're either in 22 or 12 personnel, probably 12 personnel, or, or or probably no running. You might be without a running back if Aaron Jones isn't on the field, or maybe Aaron Jones is at wide receiver. The Packers, however, can get away with having two tight ends on the field, neither of which are running routes, unless one of them is like leaking out or dropping into the flat after they throw a block, because Dontavian Wicks can separate, right? Jaden Reed can separate. They have guys that can get open, so they can allocate two tight ends 
two pass catchers, quote unquote, to just beating Micah Parsons up and then getting in his way and not allowing Micah Parsons to go one-on-one against Rasheed Walker or against Zach Tom at left tackle or right tackle. So I think that's an important matchup totally. I think the biggest matchup in this game is Jordan Love versus Dallas's starting corners, Deron Bland and Stephon Gilmore. They're coached by Al Harris. That's a secondary that forces a ton of turnovers and a lot of defensive scores, a historical level of defensive scores. Defensive scores, you you think they're lucky. Dallas seemingly has taken the luck out of that because they create turnovers, create points with their defense. And what I've been told on multiple broadcasts this year by analysts and by people who, you know, go into Dallas before a game and talk to everyone and get the lowdown so they can share with us on the broadcast, Al Harris doesn't teach technique. He teaches how to read the opposing wide receiver, how to read the quarterback, what to look for, what to listen for, what to, how to feel out the vibe on a play to try to create that big explosive play. So if Jordan Love can get through the first quarter, get through a lot of the second quarter, get through the first half without getting picked by Deron Bland, without making a mistake, without telegraphing a pass a little bit too much, without showing his cards a little bit too much right before he's about to rip it. If he can get through, especially the beginning of the game, without telegraphing one to Deron Bland or Stephon Gilmore, who's been in this league a long time, I think this is an honest-to-goodness football game. The only way that I see this game getting out of hand, and maybe I'm overestimating my Packers, maybe I'm, I'm smelling the... Smelling the green and gold smelling salts, drinking the Kool-Aid after the last couple of weeks. Could be. Um, as an owner, I, I try to avoid being too much of a fan, but I, sometimes I can't help myself. Jeez, I get excited about this team. I think the only way this game gets out of hand is if Jordan Love telegraphs a pass to Deron Bland or Stephon Gilmore and Dallas turns them over early and they go up 10 to nothing or 14 to nothing because then Dallas can front run and they can lean on you and try to build that lead and to try to take home run swings, big swings, knockout swings. But if the Packers hold tight and they hang in there and they let this game settle in without being behind multiple scores, I I think this is, I think it's game on. We can talk more about this next. I want to keep talking about this. Wisco Sports Show. Get an update from Zach Heilpern. Mike Clemens to join us soon. Hour two starts in two minutes. persevere throughout the course of the season. I've said it so many times, when you go through adversity and you just keep your head down, you keep working, you come through it, usually you're better for it. This is where Wisconsin gathers to talk sports. Packers, Brewers, Badgers, Bucks. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Now, here's your host, Grant Bills. funny right before we took that last break at five o'clock talking about the matchup between Jordan Love and the Cowboys corners Deron Bland Stefan Gilmore Trayvon Diggs is one of those corners he got hurt earlier on in the year so instead it's been Deron Bland Stefan Gilmore but they've still been really good at forcing interceptions and turning interceptions into big field position swings or points they score a lot defensively the Cowboys are really good at it they're really good at forcing Turnovers. You need to think turnovers are lucky, right? You need the quarterback to throw you the ball. Well, the Cowboys and Al Harris, the coaches at secondary, and Dan Quinn, the defensive coordinator that calls the plays, it's his scheme. They're really, really good at forcing turnovers. And it's funny because then we went to break and I went onto Twitter, see what's going on. And the official NFL account tweeted this a memory from 20 years ago today. And speaking of Al Harris, 
Uh, this is Packers Seahawks. Remember this? What do you call? I'd like to call heads. Heads is called. <laughs> Look at him. He's laughing. Heads! Seattle has won the toss. We want a so. ball. We're going to score. <laughs> Turn around. Oh, boy. They're coming. The pass is picked off. Intercepted. Back the other way. The Green Bay Packers advance. Touchdown, Al Harris. Beautiful. Streaking down the side. You know, we don't talk enough about, you know, we always talk about how Hasselbeck's like, we want the ball, we're going to score, right? That's iconic. You know, we never talk about, and Hasselbeck's lucky we don't. What an awful throw. <laughs> like, I'm watching the replay. What an, oh, that throws ass. Like, it was in a bad spot, and it was like a wet noodle duck type of throw. Like, what a, no wonder Al Harris picked it off. You know, Hasselbeck almost didn't give him a choice. So that was 20 years ago today. Uh, the rest of the playoff run, not so great, but that game sure was fun. This is the Wisco Sports Show. My name is Grant Bills. Mike Clemens going to join us at 530. Temple and Hyoprin will take over at 6 o'clock. I love Wednesdays and Thursdays because I'm not the last voice on our network. On Wednesdays, turn it over to the Bill Michaels Huddle. 6 o'clock, he was live in lacrosse at Flipside last night. The crowd was nuts. So thank you to our lacrosse listeners on WKTY that turned out and and really made that a, a fun huddle. That was one of my favorite ones of the year. And then tonight, Thursdays, Zach Heilbrin, Jesse Temple, live at Monks in Sun Prairie on the east side of Madison. So stop by after work, get a beer. Uh, they, have, they have happy hour with cheap uh, drink deals and app deals, and I don't have the list in front of me. Zach will tell you more about that at 6 o'clock. It's also the perfect place to watch Thursday Night Football when Thursday Night Football is on. But instead, tonight, we got Bucks celtics Watch that. That's probably better than some crummy game between the Jets and the Browns with half-asleep Al Michaels in the booth anyways. And not to mention Zach and Jesse are the two best in the business when it comes to talking about the Badgers. So a lot of transfer portal news for the Badgers. And, of course, what happened last night with the Badger basketball team. Zach and Jesse will address all of that. And if you're in the area, you're listening on The Zone and well, I'm not doing anything tonight. Maybe I'll stop out to Monks. You absolutely should. The Temple and Heilprin coming up at 6 o'clock. Right before the break, as I said, we were talking about Al Harris, talk about Jordan Love versus these corners. I think that's the most important matchup in this game. Because according to what we've been told, and I don't know why Chris Collinsworth or Greg Olson or any of these other color commentators that have done Cowboy games this year that we've watched, and I've heard this on, on multiple broadcasts, say that Al Harris... He doesn't coach technique. He doesn't coach scheme. He doesn't coach footwork. He coaches instincts, watching and, and, and judging and reading the wide receiver and watching and judging and reading the quarterback's eyes and, and trying to get a beat on what's about to happen and then having the instincts and the confidence to then go act on it, go make the play, right? You've read the play. You've diagnosed the play. You realize what's about to happen. Now let your instincts take over and go do something about it. Go hawk the interception, right? Go pick it off. Take it to the end zone. Go knock it down. Go make a play, right? So Al Harris has almost reverse engineered the cornerback position and the way that he's teaching it and the way that it's being schemed up from Dan Campbell, who's up in the booth, the Cowboys defensive coordinator. I think the most important matchup in this game is Jordan Love versus those corners. For, for many reasons. The, the first reason is, well, Jordan Love's going to have to throw the ball there and have to score points to win. Uh, and, and 
you know, getting the ball to Dontavian Wicks, Jaden Reed, that's a big part of this game. So naturally, of course, by, by default, Jordan Love versus these Cowboys defensive backs is an important matchup. But I, I think on a, on a more specific game script level, specific to this game, I think that the Packers, for lots of reasons, and we've talked about a lot of these reasons, can be a real player in this game, and they can be competitive in this game, and they can score with the Cowboys. And I think their defense might be able to do just enough if they get some breaks. Like, I think the Packers can compete in this game. I'm not picking them. I wouldn't bet on them to win, but I think that they can play in an honest-to-goodness football game on Sunday afternoon. The one way that that's going to go south, the one uh, the one instance where this game will go wrong and the Packers will start to get blown out. And, and, and the one way this becomes not a competitive game is if Jordan Love throws a pick on the first drive and the Cowboys take it down and score. And now they're up 10 to nothing or they're up 14 to nothing. And the Packers get a little tight and the Cowboys start to start feeling themselves. They get a little confidence and they can start leaning on the Packers. They can really, not to use a cliche, they can really pin their ears back and come after Jordan Love. Right? They can take big swings, try to create big plays, try to land knockout punches. Because right? then the Cowboys can play fast and loose and free. They're playing with a lead. That's how they like to play. And I think the Packers really only get in trouble if, let's say, they go three and out on their first possession, and then Jordan Love throws a pick because he telegraphs a pass a little bit too much, and Deron Bland gets a beat on it. And now all of a sudden the Packers are down 10 to nothing, 14 to nothing. Then it's, then it's danger zone. Then it's trouble time. But I think if Jordan Love can avoid making a big mistake and can play clean, mistake-free footballs, we've seen really for six or seven weeks now. I mean, I knock on wood as I say this because I don't want to put anything out into the universe. I don't want to jinx anything. But he has played mistake-free football. And I don't think he's been getting away with a lot of interceptions either. It's not like he's been throwing up jump balls the defenders have dropped or wide receivers have made a play on. There was one play against the Bears, but... You're taking a shot in the end zone before half. You're not really feeling like your kicker is, is, is maybe lights out right now. So let's sneak one into the end zone. I don't have a problem with that decision. They didn't end up scoring anyways. It's not like it costed them. They didn't even get a field goal attempt off. So I, Jordan Love has not been putting the ball in harm's way. That needs to continue to be the case. Right from the jump. The Packers need to get through the first 10 to 20 minutes of this game. So the first quarter, first quarter and a half, Really, I want to be getting to a couple minutes left in the second quarter, and the Packers are right there. That's the dream. This Packers team can get late into the second quarter, and it's still a ball game. It's tight. We can get to halftime. It's still a ball game. It's tight. Well, then they have a fighting chance. Because then if Jordan Love, Aaron Jones, they possess the ball in the second half, they limit possessions, who knows? Right? Dak Prescott could throw a bad pick. A ball could get batted up in the air. Dak Prescott fumbles a snap. Who, Who knows? Right? You need to get this game to a point where luck or flukiness could all of a sudden get involved. But you you can't get there. You can't get to that game script. You can't get to that spot if you go three and out and you have an interception or you have a turnover early on. So Jordan Love avoiding that big mistake. He's been so good at doing it the last couple weeks. It's got to continue to be the case. And I'd say that Jordan Love hasn't played a ball hawking defense like this. It's like, well, Jordan Love hasn't been playing picks, but, you know, it's not like they've been playing real aggressive. Well, the Bears defense was forcing turnovers, forcing interceptions left and right, and they really didn't have a shot except for that ball in the end zone. It's not like the Bears were dropping interceptions. So Jordan Love has had experience over the last couple weeks with defenses that like to ball hawk. I still think the Cowboys are on a slightly higher level than the Bears. 
Uh, and the Vikings, for sure. I The Vikings, it all just went wrong in that game. And I think Brian, or not Brian Dable, Brian Flores is uh, an excellent defensive coordinator. I think he's the opposite end of the spectrum uh, than Joe Barry. I, I think he is Joe Barry, but with aggression. And that sometimes Joe Barry will sit back a little bit too much while his defense gets eaten up. And Brian Flores, on the other end of the spectrum, send pressure, send pressure, send pressure, man coverage, man coverage, all out, zero blitz. He'll do that. Well, his defense gets eaten up. And that's what happened. That's what happened. Packers Vikings is, is Brian Flores like over aggressiveness, his defense to death. And Joe Barry is the other end of the spectrum. He'll, he'll be passive to the point where it hurts. Brian Flores would be too aggressive. Joe Barry could be too passive. So Jordan Love has dealt with aggressive ball hawking defenses in each of the last two weeks. One of them, a U.S. Bank Stadium. That's not an easy environment to play. And I think U.S. Bank Stadium is a much more difficult environment than AT&T Stadium, Jerry World down in in Dallas where the Cowboys play. So Jordan Love is, has seen defenses that like to get after him, like to make plays on the ball. I, again, I think the Cowboys are on a higher level, but I think the most important matchup in this game is Jordan Love versus those corners because if Jordan Love continues to protect the ball, I think the Packers can be right there in this game. The Cowboys don't run the ball very effectively. The Packers don't stop the run very effectively, but they can hold their own here and there when they need to. You're not going to stuff every run, okay? You're not going to stop every pass. That's the nature of defenses. It's not going to be pretty, but I think the Packers more often than not can hold their own against the run, and the Packers can run the ball on this Dallas defense. This Dallas defense is really aggressive, and they force turnovers, and they get after the passer. But if Matt LaFleur calls a good game, Jordan Love executes a good game, you avoid mistakes, you can move the ball on this Dallas defense. I'm I'm excited at the prospects of, of what this game might look like. I think the Packers have a chance to really make this a fun, competitive ball game. And maybe they don't cover, maybe they don't win, but I, but I think we can sit down and watch this game and be entertained and excited. And hey, I'll, I'll be happy with that. I just want to see this game come down to the wire and see what Dak and Jordan Love can do against each other. So I think that's the most important matchup for me. Sneaky matchup that I don't know that a lot of folks are talking about. I don't think this is important as Jordan Love versus Bland and Gilmore. I think that back and forth, that cat and mouse game is really going to decide this game. A sneaky matchup that we've hinted at, we've flirted with, we haven't really talked about is Matt LaFleur versus Mike McCarthy. I think this is a a, a matchup that just drips with so many interesting storylines. Right, Mike McCarthy is coming into this game, and the Cowboys are coming into this game with all the baggage. Right, they have won 12 games again, and they have a home playoff game again, and they have the special defensive players. They have the special offensive players. They have one of the better quarterbacks. They have all the things, but they've been coming up short for the last couple of years, and Packers fans, we know, and I've talked about this, it really wears on a team, and it wears on a fan base, and it wears on a locker room, and it wears on a coach, when you constantly have championship expectations and you repeatedly come up short over and over and over, that wears it, that, that puts the screws to a locker room and it puts the screws to a head coach. And that's what the Cowboys are carrying into this game. They're carrying in a lot of baggage and uncertainty for the future. And if, well, if it's not happening this year, when is it ever going to happen? And now Bill Belichick is out in New England and Jerry Jones. You know, Jerry Jones says a lot of things. So take everything he says with a grain of salt. But earlier this week, or I guess late last week, I don't remember. I think it was earlier this week. was asked about, you know, the, the future of Mike McCarthy. And he said, well, we'll see how all these games go. And later on in the week, he walked that back a little bit. 
But but I, I, I think there's real pressure, if only for this game. Like, if Mike McCarthy coaches the Cowboys to a conference championship game, I think he'll retain his job, and he should. If he loses in the second round, and, and again, I don't know how the seeding works, so I, this might not even be possible, but let's just say theoretically, in the second round, they're in a shootout game against the Niners, and they barely lose. Okay, I think Mike McCarthy should keep his job. I think Mike McCarthy's a really good coach, and as I've said over and over again during the season, there are no perfect coaches. There's no coach without some sort of flaw, right? So all of these coaches have strengths and weaknesses. I, I just, I think in this particular game, there's pressure in this game for McCarthy because McCarthy knows that if he loses this game, he's probably out of a job. Maybe isn't true if they lose in the division round or the conference championship round, but in this round, it's true. And it happens to be against Green Bay, which is another layer. And I know Mike McCarthy throughout the week has said, I, I know I used to be there. It's not what this is about. This is about our football team. We're a really good football team. It's an opportunity for us. This has nothing to do with my history and background with Green Bay. And that's the approach, by the way, he should take. It's about. It's not about McCarthy versus Green Bay and any revenge. It's about your team. And I, I, I have no doubt that McCarthy will preach that. And and that is truly the, the what he should preach. That's how this game should be thought of. But in the deepest of downs, in Mike McCarthy's heart, deep in his mind, I think there's a... There's a little animosity. There's a little extra juice. And I think the game at Lambeau last year really, really, really is an, an interesting flavor thrown into the soup of this game coming up. Because I think that game sticks in Mike McCarthy's crop. I really do. I think that game last year against against the Packers, they were up 28-14 to 14 in the second half. I think that game weighs on McCarthy. And I think that game pisses him off. And if you were to give Mike McCarthy a truth bill, he probably isn't too fond of Matt LaFleur. He's like, oh, this pretty boy took my job. Like, I like I think there's anim- I think there's animosity there. And, like, I don't think McCarthy's harboring resentment, but I, I think deep down in there, he's... So if, if, if we get to a, a place on Sunday where LaFleur is really calling a good game, McCarthy has a gaffe, or make some mistake with the clock or with a timeout or fourth down decision, something like that. I think that pressure starts to to build a little bit in McCarthy's head. It's like, man, it's happened against Lafleur again. My old team again. This pretty boy that was hired to replace me again. We're getting to the point now where if Lafleur gets out there and really out coaches McCarthy, Lafleur owns McCarthy at this point. And, and I think in coaching that that stuff matters. Like Saban didn't lose to his. Uh, Saban didn't lose or doesn't lose to his opponents. You look at the NFC West for a while between Pete Carroll, Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay. The the records betwixt between those three, very lopsided. McVay really didn't have any success against Shanahan, but Shanahan really struggled against Pete Carroll. Pete Carroll, like it was a triangle. You know what I mean? I, I think coaching rivalries and coaching matchups, when you get enough a sample, you get enough data a lot of times certain coaches do well against other coaches and that success or that failure starts to stack up. And if McCarthy starts to feel that a little bit on Sunday, I think Matt LaFleur versus Mike McCarthy, I think is a very interesting storyline that hasn't been discussed enough. And, and and we've discussed McCarthy. McCarthy is discussed as like, well, what if he botches the clock? Like, yeah, but I'm, I'm talking about specifically McCarthy versus LaFleur and everything that springs and, and, and sprouts from those two going against each other, especially with the history of McCarthy being in Green Bay and especially the history of last year's game against the Cowboys at Lambeau, which we don't often talk about that game because the Packers didn't end up making the playoffs. 
It was a massive, massive win for Aaron Rodgers and Matt LaFleur in the context of last season. And I think it's a really frustrating one that probably still sticks with McCarthy, which plays well, I think, and bodes well for the Packers and, and, and the way that they can play this upcoming weekend. Dallas and Mike McCarthy, they got all the baggage in the world. Packers have none. The Packers have absolutely none. And I, I just, I think this game is so freaking interesting. I'm so amped for this game. This is such an interesting football game. There's a couple this week, like Rams, Lions, really interesting as well. Dolphins, Chiefs, very interesting. There, there's, I mean, these are like, these are like Oscar nominated films, uh, like Academy Award type type presentations of games here with all different storylines and matchups. And it's going to be great. But Packers, Cowboys, three o'clock on Sunday, America's game of the weekend. And it should be, let's take a three minute break. Tweet me at Wisco Grant. If you want to chime in on the show, Mike Clemens. A little more than 10 minutes away. A lot still to come on the Wisco Sports Show. Don't go anywhere. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Wisco Sports Show. I hope you're having a good night. Thanks for listening. You can join the show. Just tweet me at Wisco Grant. Got a couple of tweets here. Jeremy and Scotty, longtime contributor, maybe the longest time contributor to the show. I think Eric on I 90 was our inaugural caller, our first caller. I think Jeremy and Scotty might have been our first tweeter. Was I manifesting something? Was I was I jinxing something or putting something out into the air? I I think I talked about Jordan Love and how he's been very uh <laughs> very sure-handed with the ball. He hasn't been turning it over. That's not on me. Don't put that on me. If he comes out and throws two picks in the first quarter against the Cowboys, that cannot possibly be my fault. That's not how this works. It's not like, again, it's not like that he hasn't played ball hawking defenses. The Vikings and Brian Flores dial it up more than anybody. It doesn't always work. Right? I think a Vagabond John, is half of the reason I stopped taking calls on Thursday is like I can't take the Joe Barry defense. And I can't just tell Vagabond John not to call, so I have to shut down the whole thing for a couple of hours on Thursday evenings. But my defense, if I were to defend the style of defense that Joe Barry plays, it's like, well, you could also have the other end of the spectrum where all you do is blitz and all you do is play man coverage. And that's Brian Flores with the Vikings. And how did that work for him two weeks ago? It turns out if the quarterback just makes really good throws and the wide receivers get open and the play callers feeling it, eh, zero blitzes every play doesn't work right now being passive and lining up way off the line of scrimmage and living in, in zone coverage constantly doesn't always work either. Right. Which is why like sometimes everyone wants to complain about Joe Barry. I think we've reached a point with Joe Barry where, the, the talking points have become like, I'm trying to think if there's a, a political analogy for this. I don't know where, where when Joe Barry comes up, it's like soft zone playing way off the line of scrimmage. Like, well, sometimes a lot of the times, not always like there is more to Joe Barry's defense than soft zone and playing way off the line of scrimmage. And sometimes that's the right way to play. Sometimes that works. Sometimes you can be successful doing that. Um, my frustration with Joe Barry 
is honestly not related to scheme at all. And any time the last couple of weeks, you know, we've mentioned a 3-4 or a 4-3, and if you're going to change defensive schemes this offseason, then you need to consider personnel, and you've drafted all these guys to play a, a 3-4, and now you want to switch to a 4-3. I, m- maybe, maybe I'm just a dumb, dumb, stupid head fan, but okay. So, you, oh, we switched to a 4-3. You're telling me we have to throw out half the roster? Like, really? Re- really? Rashawn Gary, he can't can't possibly play in another system. He's an edge rusher. How hard could it be? I mean, okay, so we need an extra defensive lineman. Okay, well, we have a couple. Carl Brooks, Colby Wooden, Woolen. I can never remember which one. I'll just say both and admit that I can never remember. Kenny Clark, TJ Slate, and Devontae White. They got a lot of defensive linemen, 4-3-3-4. I think scheme is, is a little overrated. If, if a new coach wants to come in and make his bones using zone coverage, fine. If a new coordinator wants to come in, play man coverage, fine. I, I just want a defensive coordinator that inspires confidence, inspires aggression, has a good culture. To me, those things are much more important than whether or not they play soft zone or whether they blitz a lot. Like Wink Martindale, who was just let go or parted ways with the Giants, I'm still a little confused as to how that thing went down. It's very bizarre. And, and now, by the way, people want to interview the Giants offensive coordinator, Mike Kafka. So Dable is going to lose both of his assistants in a year where the Giants weren't even good. Someone make that. Someone help me understand how that's happening. Like the Giants season was a catastrophe, but also their coordinators are leaving. One's getting promoted and interviewed for head coaching. Time. It's just, I don't know. It's all very bizarre, but that's a side note. But I mentioned Wink Martindale, and I mentioned Brian Flores. Those are defensive coordinators that can be aggressive to a fault. Joe Barry can be passive to a fault. There's a lot of ways to skin a cat. A lot of different ways that you can scheme up a defense and be successful. I want a defensive coordinator that inspires confident playing, solid tackling, uh, ball hot, like a, a defense that a lot like the Cowboys, like has a nose for the football forcing big plays, forcing the issue. I want a defense that acts on the offense instead of waiting for the offense to act on it. And if it's zone, if it's man, I don't really care. I think we've jumped the shark a little bit with Joe Barry where, you know, every Packer fan under the sun with a podcast or with a blog is like, oh, more soft zone. And look, look, they're lining way up off the line of scrimmage. It's like, um, yeah, but it's not that simple. It's not that big. We've boiled Joe Barry down. To, 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 to too much. We've boiled him down to like you boil maple syrup down. We, we boiled it past maple syrup. We've, we've reduced him to, to something so simple in the way that we discuss and, and talk about him. I don't know how we started talking about this, but probably, you know, how they're going to deal with the Cowboys and I'm going to stop the run. Tony Pollard has not been the running back that many envisioned this year. And if you owned him in fantasy, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, I think the Packers can hold their own against Tony Pollard in this rushing game. CeeDee Lamb might be a little bit of a challenge. But if you let CeeDee Lamb go for 200 yards and you take away Brandon Cooks and you take away Michael Gallup, I mean, there's a path to victory. Somebody's got, somebody's got to get the yards. So there's a world in which CeeDee Lamb could rack up a bunch of yards, but if you hold your own on third down and you hold your own in important situations, that, that's okay. That's livable. I am a fan of, of the strategy of, of let the one guy try to beat you. Like my claim to fame in 2019, 2020 was let Jimmy, let Jimmy Butler try to beat you. Let him go for 40. See how it works. And then he did. And, 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 and we know, you know, how, how that postseason ended against the heat. Uh, but I think the Packers can hold their own enough 
against the Cowboys. And I actually think Joe Barry's defense is much better against an elite quarterback. It makes a lot more sense against an elite quarterback like Dak. And yes, Dak is elite. I am. I, I love me some Dak Prescott. I think he's awesome. And I think he gets a lot of flack that he probably shouldn't get. But I think this Packers defense can hold their own. This is a massive Aaron Jones game. We'll hear a little bit from Aaron Jones. Probably. I assume we're going to talk about Aaron Jones. He's going back to his home state of Texas in this game. And he's had some, Awesome games against the Cowboys before. This is Matt LaFleur earlier today. This is the last thing we'll do before we take a break and get Mike Clemens on the horn. This is Matt LaFleur talking about how Jair Alexander got injured in practice today. It's not a shoulder. It's an ankle. Okay, so it's something new. Yeah, so it was uh, kind of a freak deal yesterday. I mean, because you guys saw we had mostly a jog through and uh, just unfortunately stepped on somebody's foot and rolled his ankle. So I know he's doing everything he can to be available and it's I'd say it's day to day and um but we thought it was best obviously today to have him not practice you ever seen somebody get hurt in a jog through before well it's happened uh it doesn't happen very regularly and it's just one of it was a freaky deal and um it's not like he was I mean he was locked in focused doing everything we asked him to do and just fortunately just stepped on somebody's foot and it happened you just can't have nice things with Jair this year. I was so, so back on Jair going into the Bears game and even more back going into the Cowboys game. I just wish he could be healthy. I just, I just want Christian Watson and Jair Alexander to be healthy. Is that too much to ask? Probably is. Not everyone can be healthy. If we get Dontavian Wicks and Jaden Reed and Luke Musgrave back, I, all right, I can deal. I can, I can work with that. If we get Christian Watson back, all right, cool. We get Jair healthy this weekend, all right, cool. Just get some ice on that ankle, stretch it out next couple of days. Can't have everyone healthy. It is football. Everyone's banged up. Let's take a break. We'll get Mike Clemens on the horn. He'll join us next. Bring us the latest from Green Bay. What he saw at practice today. He called in right after they were kicked out of practice on Bill's show earlier today. So I'm interested to see and to hear, I guess, uh, more accurately, what he heard from coaches and players today. We'll talk with Mike Clemens next. We're back five minutes on the Wisco Sports Show. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bill's on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. They got some new faces, you know, um, you know, particularly, you know, play a lot of guys in their secondary, um, you know, throughout the year. Uh, obviously, they've gotten healthy here of late, but yeah, I, I really uh, last night and this morning has just been really just getting tied into their into the personnel. Um, have seen Jordan a few times in in the breakdowns. Uh, you know, obviously has great command of the offense. You can see he's comfortable. Um, you know, he, he's made some excellent you know time clock plus throws. Um, so I have noticed that. But I mean, it is early. You know, we're really into the preparation right now. But it's really just getting tuned with the matchups. That's Mike McCarthy. His preliminary thoughts, at least, on the Packers. I haven't watched much of them. Mike McCarthy's funny. Mike Clemens is here. McCarthy's funny because he he takes that answer, you can tell, so seriously. Well, I haven't had a chance to, to see this. We're early on in our preparation. You know, all they want is some generic thoughts. You know, Mike, it's you don't have to reinvent the wheel with your answer. I love how serious McCarthy takes that. Mike Clemens, uh, have you had that experience with McCarthy before? He's just, he's a funny guy. Boy, he's dodging the truth is what, he, what he's doing. Oh yeah, yeah. I haven't talked to the trainer yet. Yeah, okay. don't know anything about that yet. Yeah, oh, come on, come on. You were here at five thirty this morning, where your cup of Starbucks 
And the first thing you do is go to the training room and get the list and see who's on the schedule, you know, for treatments and how they're coming along and, you know, how much pus came out of that kid's knee yesterday. That's the, come on, stop it. That's funny. Oh my God. Mike McCarthy. So that loss at Lambeau right before I brought you in, Mike, before we took this last break, talking about how I, I think that loss probably weighs on him a little bit. I think that loss last year is sticking in his craw a little bit. They were up 28 to 14. That's a game the Cowboys shouldn't have lost. And then they went for an overtime, didn't get it. I, I think Mike McCarthy, although he won't make it about himself, and he said that this week, he really wants this game against the Packers. I'd bet anything. Mike McCarthy wanted to grow up and be a head coach of the Pittsburgh Steelers, and he took with pride being a head coach of the Green Bay Packers every day. He loved it here. He met his wife here. He really started a family here. Uh, he had a, a, you know, an older daughter from a previous marriage, but, I mean, he wanted to go on forever. And he had a great quarterback, but it got stale. And, you know, he had to look at himself in the mirror. And the biggest mistake he made was not churning his coaching staff. He kept hiring guys from Pittsburgh. Yeah. If he'd had a Dan Quinn, you know, from our head coach from the Falcons and Seattle Seahawks, he might be sitting there. Who knows? Maybe he was, uh, uh, you know, arm-tied uh, because Jerry Jones will pay for anything he wants. He'll sure. get Fossil, the best special teams coordinator. Uh, the best uh, defensive coordinator, those kinds of things, that makes a difference. Now, we had some friendly fire here again, again. Jair Alexander, now why isn't he on the field? And now why is he on the report with an ankle that, that happened during the Bears game? And we asked Matt LaFleur what's going on with uh, the defensive back, Jair Alexander. Yeah, so it was uh, kind of a freak deal yesterday. I mean, because you guys saw we were, had mostly a jog through and, uh, just unfortunately stepped on somebody's foot and rolled his ankle. So I know he's doing everything he can to be available, and it's, I'd say it's day-to-day. And um, we thought it was best, obviously, today to have him not practice. You ever seen somebody get hurt in a jog through before? Well, it's happened. Uh, it doesn't happen very regularly, and it's just one of it was a freaky deal. And um it's not like he was i mean he was locked in focused doing everything we asked him to do and just fortunately just stepped on somebody's foot and it happened mike you've been to all these practices you you more specifically than me or any run-of-the-mill fan you know the difference between a walkthrough between a jog through inside outside was the situation yesterday really conducive to a player because we see players get hurt in practice but it's not like they're going balls to the walls this week mike this is weird you know, and it's also Jair from a standpoint of he had a one-week suspension, and now he's trying to sort of play him back self into the good graces of his teammates and the team. I think he had a you know a decent game against the Bears, but um, I was a little surprised, maybe not that surprised because it's week 18. Uh, players' bodies are beat up. You know, some of the defensive linemen, they walk like they're on hot coals after practice, like their feet are killing them. Sure. They're killing him. And so, you know, you're, you, LaFleur sees this. He talks to players, and he's trying to think, okay, how can I get this game plan in? How can I get their adrenaline going? Because, you know, I've got the guy that watches the GPS in my health department that says i got to get in a certain amount of, of uh, you know, bur- things that they burn up in their calories, a certain level of energy burn uh, in the middle of the week so they don't flatten out. And they're not flat on game day. So you got to watch all these different kinds of numbers. Uh, but in the meantime – I, you walk in on Wednesday, and it's like they do these warm-ups, and then they'll let us at least watch various individual drills, play catch, see guys up to speed, see guys 
that are on the sidelines mm-hmm. trying to rehab sore ankles and whatnot and get back on the field, they cut that all out. They they did their warm-ups, and then they said, okay, you got to go, because they went right into game planning. And it was only like an, an hour, seven, hour and a half, two-hour practice. It was barely was an hour long on Wednesday to get things into this game plan. And, you know, when you watch the Cowboys the last couple of weeks, too, it's just – as I told Bill, this might be the best roster McCarthy's had since 2017 when he was still in Green Bay, and they were off and, and rolling except about week four or five. Rodgers goes down with another broken collarbone yeah. thanks to Anthony Barr up at U.S. Bank playing the Vikings. But, you know, C.D. Lamb now, it looks like a veteran. Brandon Cooks is a veteran and still fast. And Michael Gallup, all these options that Dak Prescott has got to throw the ball to, Jake Ferguson at tight end. Tony Pollard should be 100%, but this, you know, Dowdle and some of their other backup running backs mm-hmm. look good, too. It's a mature team. Yeah, It's a team that's in their prime. Maybe still not the best roster. Maybe we'll find out against the 49ers or, you know, the Ravens or whatever. Well, but this is this is the best he's got right now. And, and let's face it, the Packers beat the Vikings without a quarterback. Justin Fields has not improved. They fired the entire coaching staff and you know, including Luke Getzey down in Chicago. What kind of challenges have you had since you played the Chiefs at home yeah. to say that you you can beat the Cowboys? The Cowboys have won 16 games in a row, 16 games in a row at AT&T Stadium in Dallas. Well, and, and the interesting thing about you talk about the best roster, I also think the staff under McCarthy is as good as it's because Dan Campbell's maybe going to get hired as a head coach this offseason. And who knows, maybe Al Harris, somebody tries to poach him. So his staff around him is also kind of as good as it can be before guys start going elsewhere and getting other jobs, right? Like you can't get a much better staff than this because if it was much better, the guys would go elsewhere for other jobs. So that's important to remember too. You talk about that potential. You go to Keyshawn Nixon, your your, your nickelback and your kick returner and uh, gee, you know, you're not going to have Jair. You may not have Jair for the Cowboys game and a wild card playoff. Are you concerned? I don't know. I just got to go in there and play. I play nickel. I don't even play outside, so I, I got the same game plan whether who's out there with me, if it's Jair, if it's Corey Valentine, if it's Corey Valentine, anybody. Uh, I'm out there playing ball, so I don't really worry about that. I'm attacked the same week, the same. I don't change nothing for me, so no. Play ball. We play games without Jair. Uh, I think every team got to play football. I don't really look at the other dog. It's just how our season went, and we got in. Once it, once you win, it's 0-0. Everybody got to play. No matter what seed you is, you got to play football. Do you feel like the Packers are proving people wrong this season? Uh, yeah, you can say that, yeah. <laughs> do you, Mike, in your experience talking to these players, do players a lot better understand next man up than fans? Because fans are like, oh, we don't have this guy this weekend. But it, it sounds like, you know, just talking to Keyshawn Nixon, this is the NFL. Guys get hurt all the time. We play games every week. This is part of the gig. It seems like he understands that. I think the Packers, especially under Mike McCarthy, learned that they have to rotate guys in, you know, before there's an, an, a drastic emergency. You know, um, that's what they were saying, too, about uh, Jared, the, the last coach uh, in uh, in Dallas before McCarthy. If he lost an offensive lineman, there was total panic. And they say under McCarthy the last two or three years, you know, they've, they just feel they've got better depth. Somehow they rotate guys, and they, they, can, they can plug guys in like they did last week against the commanders. At, uh, I would think it was the right guard position. Um, so, yeah, I, and, and obviously Little Fleur has carried that on as well, and it's something that Goodikin stresses when he puts together that particular kind of roster as well. It's, it's, 
Uh, it, there's more rotations of guys, so you've always got guys that are ready to go, and, and you work your practice squad a little bit differently. Um, let's, let's talk about wide receiver. Now, you're going up against a Dallas defense with Micah Parsons, extremely speedy, move him all over the field. There's going to be a lot of discussion to, again today and tomorrow in the Packers meetings about how they're going to identify where he is, where he lines up. Is Aaron Jones going to get him? You're not probably not going to have A.J. Dillon out there for pass protection, so they got to keep an eye on number 11. And what about receivers? You know, are, are you going to try and beat this Cowboys team with Dontavian Wicks and I don't know Malik Heath and Bo Melton and because Romeo Dobbs left the Bears game coughing up blood, riding an exercise bike, then going into the locker room, then being taken to the hospital with some kind of a chest injury. I asked him yesterday, he said, yeah, yeah, no, can't talk. So today a bunch of reporters came over and said, Romeo, can you tell us how you got hurt Sunday night against the Bears? So I was control, I was off the game. And, you know, we got the dub. And, you know, other than that, um, I'll leave the rest to the coach. I can't help uh, feeling a lot better than I felt, um, you know, just throughout that time. I've been progressing. That's the, you know, biggest thing I'm looking forward to is progression throughout the week. What was the reason they took you to the hospital? What did they want to, what did they want to check? I would leave that up to Coach LaFleur. Thank you. Man, he doesn't say, he doesn't say anything. He's like a, no. he's like a member of government who's got to go in front of a congressional committee. And answer questions like he's he gives you guys nothing, which I like I can appreciate the the business like like I, I like a player that goes about their business like that. This reminds me of what happened to Randall Cobb in 2016. Remember when he had the the microphone in his pads and it messed with his chest or his lungs? Or, that That's what yeah, I first thought. No, he made that he made that catch. That was yeah, that was the playoff game against the Cardinals. He made that diving catch uh, and, the, and the microphone he was mic'd up went into his back. Um <sighs> Your two veteran receivers are that guy, Dobbs, and Christian Watson. Mm -hmm. And Watson's been going on, well, week five, week six with these hamstring injuries. This is not a guy, I'm convinced, who is in the hot hot tub. You know, you can't make the club if you're in the tub kind of guy. Mm -hmm. I believe Watson is is clearly frustrated, but he, you know, he's in agreement with the trainers. He doesn't want to go into a game unless he's 100%, and he just can't quite get there in Wednesday and Thursday practice and feel that good on Friday, and that's why he didn't go against the Bears. But I think this was a fair question to Christian Watson. Like, dude, it's the playoffs. Maybe you can get 15 snaps in there, two big catches, two big plays, and then, you know, you go down again. You know, it's it's do-or-die time. Um, I mean, I don't really think I'm thinking about it that way. Um, I mean, for me, it's more so, uh, uh, I mean, I got to get to the point, or I don't think I'm going to be 100% either way, uh, to be honest. Uh, I mean, coming coming back from hamstrings, even when I was, you know, coming back earlier in the season, I think it was more around like 90, 95%. uh, And I was still, you know, playing in the Detroit game and the Vegas game. Uh, And that's just how it is. You kind of got to, you know, work through a couple kinks after getting back um, with the soft tissue stuff. But... Um, I mean, I got to be able to get, I got to be able to play at the level that I know is, you know, going to benefit the team and not, um, you know, put us in a worse spot. Uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm not thinking about it as I got to be 100% to go, uh, but I got to be able to make a positive impact to, to go. You know, Christian Watson could play, like you said, Mike, he could play 15 snaps and have two catches and be the deciding factor in a football game. He, he is not a guy that needs 10 targets and a hundred yards to make an impact. He could flip the game on two plays, right? Or just being out there with his speed as a threat. So I think it's a fair question and it's a fair line of thinking because it, 
like just him being out there with his size and speed, it impacts the game almost instantly. He doesn't have to do a whole lot. He could be a decoy because of the explosive games he had last year, the last time the Packers played the Cowboys here at Lambeau Field. Uh, Man, when I watch CeeDee Lamb, he's speedy, he's got good hands, and just one more thing, he's more mature now. I mean, you can just see his timing is so much more better and experienced. And I asked uh, Anthony Johnson, this rookie who's been playing safety, and he's older than he appears. And actually, it turns out he's 24 years old, played a little extra at Iowa State. That's oh, why man. he carries himself well. Well, but that's that's <laughs> why I, I was looking at him today. I can't believe he's a rookie. He looks like he's been here a couple of years. And I thought he had this great interesting on what makes the Cowboys C.D. Lamb so much more a dangerous receiver these days. When he when he his after the catch, he's a he's a good he's a good receiver after the catch. He almost turns into like a running back. I know I remember playing him in college, and he was kind of doing some of the same things that he do now. So he's a, he's a good receiver after the catch. That's right. Anthony Johnson was Iowa State, so that was bad. they would have played each other in the Big Twelve, I suppose. Yeah. That's that's yeah. cool that these guys often know of each other. Right. Football is a lot smaller world than you'd think. CeeDee Lamb is just he's just such an awesome wide receiver. He's good at everything, Mike. And he's gotten a little better every year. He's just taken a step up every single season. He just can do everything. So So, losing focus in that secondary for just a play or two, that can make the difference. Absolutely. So in the in the football world, in the last uh, 36 hours, after 17 years at Alabama, uh, Nick Saban retires at 72. That's understood. Pete Carroll got pushed out of Seattle. He he was fighting for his job in those meetings. John Schneider and the, the team owner, Jody Allen, they they moved on. Uh, so he's done after 14 years and uh, one Super Bowl win, the only Super Bowl win for the Seattle Seahawks. He's done at 71 years old. And then Robert Kraft sits down with Bill Belichick and says, "Dude, the last three years, you know, and you probably should have gotten yourself a GM." And so they held a press conference. It was only about 20 minutes. Uh, and the Patriots owner, Robert Kraft, uh, talked about saying goodbye to Bill Belichick today after 24 years. It's a very emotional day uh, for the organization. You know, the end of an era that will be hard to be replicated, I think, at least in my lifetime, if ever. Yeah, it's some funny comments Belichick earlier today. He said, oh, I haven't seen this many cameras here since we signed Tebow. I'm like, God, yeah, he's I funny when that. he tries when he tries to be interesting at a press conference. You can tell it's so easy for him. He just doesn't choose to be very often. Do you remember that preseason game when they had the joint practices and that one Isaiah kid, uh, a safety, got clobbered and they had to carry him off the field? Yep. And, and so Belichick went over to Matt, and after a couple of days of joint practices in three and a half quarters, he went to Matt LaFleur and said, you know, I, I think we're done here, aren't we? Yeah. And so they, they cut that. They stopped that game early. Belichick looked so old that night. You know, watching this kid haul away, I just thought, I, he's he's toast. Yeah. And so Belichick to dead today said goodbye not only to the – to the to the to the players and and the assistant coaches, but to the the fans and the media. To the media, for you guys, I, I don't know that anybody's gotten more coverage than uh, than I have or we have in the past 24 years. Um, you know, meet with you guys a lot, respect what you do. Um, you know, you're a voice to the fans, and uh, even though we don't always see eye to eye all the time, most of the time, but not all the time, uh, I do respect what you do, and and. Uh, and finally, to the fans, um, you know, the fans here are amazing. Um, you know, there's so many memories of the fans, the, the send-offs, um, the parades, um, the Sundays, 
you know, whatever the, whatever the situations are, um, the letters of support, uh, the, you know, seeing the fans, you know, away from here, you know, at a gas station or a grocery store, or, you know, where you bump into them, uh, Patriot fans here, and not just in New England, but uh, they extend nationally and even internationally uh, as I've traveled. Uh, it's amazing how far the, the arm reaches. We saw that this year in, in Germany. So, uh, so appreciative of the fans for all the support they've given me, uh, my family, uh, and this football team. And uh, it's with um, just so many fond memories and, and uh, thoughts that I you know, think about the Patriots and, and I'll always be a Patriot. I look forward to coming back here. Uh, but at this time, uh, you know, we're going we're gonna to move on. And um, I look forward and excited for the future. Um, but always very, very appreciative of the opportunity here, the support here, uh, and, you know, the, what Robert, what you've done for me. Thank you for bringing that to the show, Mike. I got to go right now. I got to take my break. We'll talk soon, okay? Thanks, Grant. Awesome. Have a nice night, Mike. We'll wrap up the show next. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. I was not lying to Mike. I had to take the break. That last one in there. We'll wrap up the Wisco Sports Show. Temple and High Oprah and Jesse Zach. Best in Badgers talk. They're live at Monks and Sun Prairie. Stop by. Otherwise, listen. They're coming up in just two minutes. Talk to you tomorrow at 4.